Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Laura. Um, Pastor Adam, he had planned to be back with you this morning for worship. However, unfortunately, his was one of the thousands of flights that was canceled last evening um, as he was en route back from Iowa where he's been working on his doctorate. I know he's so disappointed to not be back with you today, uh, but I'm thrilled to be here as we wrap up together our sermon series, Can I Get a Witness? In order to wrap this series up, we're actually going to need to head back to where we began, and that is Acts chapter 1. It is there, after all, that Jesus gave his disciples this purpose, this purpose to be his witnesses, first in Jerusalem, right where they were, and then in Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. Just moments before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them this clear purpose along with a promise, a promise of the power of the Holy Spirit that would make it possible for them to live this purpose out. However, it's easy to get distracted from our purpose, isn't it? I remember uh, being in high school and playing on the basketball team. Um, up to that point, like in junior pro and in middle school, I had been used to kind of like always being out on the floor during the game. But all that changed once I hit my freshman year. Uh, my freshman year, my best friend and I, we played JV ball together and then we both got to dress for the varsity squad. Maybe you've been invited to dress on a team before and know what that means. If not, let me explain. What it means to dress for a team is that you get to wear the cool uniform and the flashy warm-up suit, but there's about a .0001% chance that you are actually going to go in the game. And so it was very strange at first to just sit there on the sidelines while this game was going on, but eventually you get used to it. Uh, my best friend and I, we made a, a new friend out of the sports trainer who sat at the very end of the bench with us, and we developed a new skill. We became very adept at sneaking snacks on the bench for us to enjoy. I remember having popcorn like kind of back behind my chair and reaching back and grabbing some, but our greatest trick was this. We would get like a bag of Skittles or a bag of M&Ms that someone would sneak to us. We would put them up our warm-up sleeve, and then when the coach wasn't looking, we'd pour a few into our hands and enjoy them there at the end of the bench. So we were doing our normal thing one night. We had perfected this routine when all of a sudden our team started to win by 40 points. I had just popped a big handful of Skittles in my mouth when I noticed that my coach was starting to walk down the bench looking for people to put in because, you know, it's not polite to run up the score. But for the first time in my life, I actually didn't want to go in the game. Again, I have this mouthful of, of snacks in my mouth. I still have candy up my sleeve. And so I kind of like avoid eye contact with my coach. I turn my body away from him. I do everything I can to give him the signal that I'm not interested in going in the game. But still, I heard my name. Laura Kay, get in the game. And so like, I'm scrambling, a few Skittles fall on the floor, which did not go unnoticed by my coach. We had to talk about that later on. But clearly, somewhere along the way, I had gotten distracted. I had lost sight of the real reason that I was there, a part of that team in the first place. 
to get in the game, to play. But I had come instead to just bide my time, enjoying my snacks, just waiting for the game to be over. It happens, doesn't it? We get distracted from our purpose. In fact, just moments after Jesus gave his disciples this purpose to be his witnesses in the world, guess what happens? They get distracted. Jesus has just said his last goodbyes to them. He ascends into heaven and they see him disappear behind the clouds. But this is how they respond to him no longer being visible to them. This is Acts chapter one, verse 10. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. In other words, they just stand there and they keep staring at the clouds. It's understandable if if you think about it. You know, the person that they had gone all in on and left everyone and everything for is no longer physically present. You know, this person that they have followed around for the past three years doing whatever he does and going wherever he goes, he has now left and he has passed the torch to them to carry on. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot to absorb. But then add on to top, on top of all that, the fact that this person that they've been following around, he's just been executed in the most excruciating of ways and they could be next on the list. I have no doubt that as the disciples stood there, they wished that they were following Jesus where he was going in that moment. I'm sure that they wished that they could just go ahead and escape this, escape this world with him. Yet, There they were with him now in heaven and them very much still on earth. So what do they do? They just stand there looking into the clouds, distracted from this this purpose and this promise of power that Jesus has given to them. And you know, ever since we as followers of Jesus, we have been prone to this same distraction, especially when things get difficult. You know, often the Christian message, it kind of gets boiled down to being the equivalent of fire insurance. It gets boiled down to us just saying yes to Jesus so that one day we'll be able to go to heaven and especially so that we can avoid that other place. But if that is the whole purpose that Jesus has given us as Christians to punch our ticket to heaven, then between our yes to Jesus and dying and going to heaven, we kind of tend to find ourselves just staring into the sky, waiting to escape this life's brokenness. But this is not the purpose that Jesus has given us. And so as the story in Acts continues on, the angels, they have to snap the disciples out of their staring contest. They say to them, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, hey, 
Nothing to see here, okay? Move along, Jesus, he's doing what he's doing. But stop being distracted and remember your purpose. You and I, we are not called to sit on the sidelines until this life here on earth is over and we go to heaven. No, as witnesses of Jesus, we are called to participate, to participate in God's work in the world. I like the way that uh, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about this. Um, if you were here on Easter in the sanctuary for worship, you heard me reference this as well. But, but she talks about our, our purpose in terms of, of wearing proper footwear. You know how this goes, right? Certain tasks, they require certain shoes on our feet. So for example, you know, you don't wear high heels to run a marathon, unless it, that is you want it to be the very last one you probably ever run. Nor do you wear work boots to go take ballroom dancing classes. Unless, I guess, you know, your partner is very prone to stepping on your feet and it's for your own protection. <laughs> In the same way, you don't wear bright white tennis shoes to go up, out, and till your garden. Unless you have made some mistake and you meant to order brown shoes in the first place. The other night, uh, my husband and I got to go with some friends to one of those axe throwing places. Yeah, that's a real thing. It's such a weird world that we live in. But one of the things that they made clear to us before we even entered the building was that we needed to wear closed-toed shoes to be there. And, you know, kind of thinking through the why there was this disclaimer was almost enough for me not to go through the doors in the first place. But it kind of makes the point. Proper footwear is important. And Barbara Brown Taylor, she suggests that there are actually certain shoes that are required for this hope that we have in Jesus as we seek to follow after him. And that footwear is not ruby slippers, she says, but cleats. We are, are not called as followers of Jesus to just click our heels together like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz waiting for Jesus to whisk us away from the challenges of this life. No, he has called us to lace up our cleats, to join his team, and to get into the game of doing what it is that he does. And that is extending his hope and his healing right into the middle of the hurting and difficult and broken places in our world. He has called us to participate in what he got started during his ministry here on earth. And that's what the disciples do after the angels kind of redirect them from staring into the skies as they essentially stand there clicking together their ruby slippers saying there's no place like heaven. They go from that place, from, from the Mount of Olives back to Jerusalem and they begin to live into this purpose that Jesus had given them right before he ascended into heaven. They lace up their cleats and they get in the game as they become witnesses who do the very things, who, who, who do the, the very actions that we have walked through throughout this series. First, they anticipate God's goodness. Jesus had told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because they promised that this Holy Spirit would empower them to be the witnesses he was calling them to be. And so they do, they wait. 
but not passively. No, they actively wait for God's spirit to come. They get busy doing what they need to do to, to be ready. They, they make sure that they fill in Judas's place, calling another disciple to step up, a man named Matthias. And Acts says that they were in constant prayer together. They stay expectant, knowing that it wasn't a matter of if God was going to show up, but a matter of, of when and how. They were ready to charge into the game at a moment's notice whenever their coach gave them the signal. Next, they notice God's presence. The disciples, they were together, just like, like Acts said, that they regularly were, constantly in prayer. They were anticipating God's goodness together. On a very special day on this time, though, on the day of Pentecost, this was an extremely important day for the Jewish people, a day in which people from all over uh, the known world would kind of flood back into Jerusalem to be a part of this festival that was taking place. Farmers would bring the, their first sheaf of wheat and they would offer it to God as a sacrifice. It was a way of, first of all, being grateful for what God had given them, but it was also a, a way of praying and asking God to do more of the same to bring in a great harvest. However, this festival had also marked another key point in, in the Jewish people's history together, just like, just like Passover. Passover, you know, they remembered together when God had come in and delivered all God's people out of Egypt as they had been enslaved there. But then 50 days later is what became known as Pentecost. And on that day, 50 days later, is when God's people came to Mount Sinai. And once there, Moses ascended. He ascended up the mountain. And whenever he came back down, he brought with them the law. The law that would guide God's people forward. And so it was this special day already charged with all of this significance when all of a sudden something happened. All of a sudden, this violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where the disciples were sitting. Wind, which throughout scripture was a symbol of God's spirit. And then there were these, these tongues of fires that separated and, and, and were over the heads of, of each of the disciples. Fire, which was a symbol of God's divine presence, just like as God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. The meaning of this moment, it was not lost on the disciples. Jesus, who had ascended into heaven like Moses, had now come down again, but not with law on tablets of stone, but rather this time with his spirit to guide them forward. They noticed, they noticed God's presence, but then they didn't stop there. They named God's activity. As the tongues of fire came and rested upon them, the disciples began to speak in different tongues, different languages. And remember, people from all over the known world have come to Jerusalem for this festival, right? They're all there for Pentecost. And all of a sudden, they start hearing these ordinary, uneducated Galilean men speaking in their very own language. And so it gets their attention. 
This crowd of people began to gather around as they're hearing the disciples say it in their own native tongue. How, how God is at work, the wonders of God are being declared to them. But then there's some that are standing there that are saying, come on, these men are just drunk. But at that point, Peter names. He names what is happening in that moment. He tells them, first of all, I think he says it's like nine o'clock in the morning, right? Like we're not drunk. Here is what is happening though. God is active in this moment. You remember the prophecy to Joel where God said he would pour out his spirit on all people? That is what is happening in this moment. Peter names God's activity. And then from that moment forward, he and his disciples, they begin to participate in God's work in the world. Peter continues to address the crowd, sharing the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And at the same time, the disciples, they're translating it into all these different languages. And as they're doing this, they become a part of what God is doing in that very moment, founding his church right here on earth. 3,000 people were added to their number that day who also, filled with the Holy Spirit, laced up their cleats and got in the game, joining God in what he does, transforming earth with the power of heaven. Acts tells us the story of this participation. You know, it tells us how empowered by the Holy Spirit, ordinary people join God in providing for anyone who had need by pulling their resources together. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, ordinary people like Peter and John join God in what he is doing to bring healing to a lame beggar as they're on their way to the temple. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, ordinary people like Philip join God in, in coming alongside an outsider, a foreign eunuch, helping him to understand the scripture and be baptized. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, ordinary people like Ananias join God in what he was doing in that moment, restoring the sight of Saul who would become Paul, the great missionary to the world. The list could go on and on and on across the pages of scripture and history right on up to today. Because here's the thing, our God is at work setting all things right in this world. He is moving us toward the day where all things will be redeemed and restored and heaven and earth will become perfectly one. Could he accomplish all this on his own? Sure he could, he's God. But out of his great love for us, he has invited us to experience the joy and fulfillment of participating of participating in what he is up to in our world by giving us this purpose to be his witness. When things seem dark and difficult and the divisions between people seem too deep to overcome, when wars rage between nations and people are senselessly killed in our schools and our grocery stores, when we see how poverty persists and how inequality and injustice continue to inflict so much pain, when we watch people in the grips of addiction and see loved ones ravaged with sickness, it is so tempting to want to just slip on our ruby slippers 
and to begin to, to click our heels together and just wait for God to whisk us away. But Jesus has called us to lace up our cleats and get in the game. He has called us to be the people empowered by his Holy Spirit who run toward these situations with his hope and healing rather than shine away. God has called us to participate. And so how is God inviting you to do that today? Some of you, um, probably many of you, know our friend Jean Vaughn. Jean has been a leader in our guest ministry for many, many years, and he is always on the lookout. He's always having his eyes peeled for ways to participate in God's work in the world. He is wonderful about reaching out to people who are in need uh, of care and encouragement. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a card from him and Evelyn at just the right moment. And he's led many Bible studies here at church and in his home. And he's just amazing at, at keeping people connected and informed and involved. It's pretty amazing to watch him participate in God's work in the world. It always is inspiring to me. But, but more than a few times, Gene has looked at me and he said that he wished that he could do more. But that his body sometimes slows him down. Several months ago, a hurt foot um, kind of threatened to put him on the sidelines in some ways. And I know, um, just knowing Gene, that he was probably very frustrated and sad about that. But at that same time, it was very beautiful to watch all these people rally around him and kind of lace up their cleats and get in the game to show love to Gene in that moment when he needed it. And perhaps the, the sweetest example of this is some of our three-year-olds from our early learning center here at the church. They put together the most amazing care package, I think, ever assembled. It had flowers, it had notes, it had these beautiful works of art. But perhaps my favorite part of all when it came to this care package was that it also had pages and pages of advice. They had asked these three-year-olds to tell them the things that would make Gene happy and the things that would make his foot feel better. And here's some of the things that they said. Here are some things to make him happy. A trampoline, eggs, a dog, playing Mario Party, a monster truck, apples, peanut butter, orange juice, strawberries, Chick-fil-A, and pizza. I have to agree with the kids. Food always makes me happy as well. But here are some of the things they said that would make his foot feel better. Um, one student said, medicine and a Band-Aid and ice, really cold ice, not hot, because ice is cold, not hot. Thank you, Austin, for clearing that up. <laughs> they said, put a sock on it and cover up your boo-boo. Take a nap, do a puzzle and eat ice cream, dinosaur nuggets, mommy kisses. Going to Dinosaur World, eating lots of chips, giving himself a hug, a big one, and eating mac and cheese. And perhaps my favorite answer, a student said this, we can pray for him and blow him kisses because he's far away and he's not here and we don't share yucky germs. Jesus will make him feel better. I mean, the cuteness and the preciousness of these kids. Mr. Gene was needing a little extra love in that moment, and these kids, they laced up their cleats, and they got in the game. 
But as kind of a side note, um, I also heard rumors that our friend Gene, who might have been discouraged that he couldn't participate in the ways that he always had in that moment, that he was making friends with the nurses and praying for them. And that he was going to visit other people that he knew um, and, and that he was uh, making sure that they felt seen and loved. From the youngest of the young to those of us who have more age and wisdom, we all have the same purpose. The same purpose to be witnesses for Jesus who participate in his work in the world. Normally when we send people out as, as a church to, to be missionaries, to be Jesus' witnesses in the world, we, we hold a special service. We call it a commissioning service. It's actually a practice that's been done ever since the book of Acts as it continues to unfold. And as, to the, as we go today sending you to be our witnesses in the world, to be witnesses for Jesus who participate in what he is up to all around us all the time, we want to commission you. And so would you join me now in this special service as we remember that we have all been set apart and anointed with the Holy Spirit to go. Dear friends, as we take part in this celebration of blessing and commissioning, we are reliving a practice of the early church. We read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work of mission. And the church at, at Antioch, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them out. The early church eagerly sent its members to other peoples to assist those who were already of the household of faith and those who did not yet believe in Christ. Today we also send you, our brothers and sisters, to serve the needs of the church throughout the world. This commissioning and sending will strengthen the bonds we maintain with, faith, with the faith-filled communities to which you are going. And the prayers we offer are an expression of the ties that bind us together in the larger body of Christ. The Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray together in one voice. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen. We bless you, O oh God, and we give you all the praise and glory. We ask you to bless these, your servants. Fill the hearts of those we are commissioning with the power of the Holy Spirit. We send them forth as messengers of salvation and peace in your name, marked with the sign of the cross and anchored in your grace. Amen.